What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Benitez, and I want to welcome every single listener from wherever you are in the country, in the world. We have listeners in uh, South America now. I think I brought that up in the previous episode, and I'm just so excited about that. And I know for a fact that the Lord is continuing to open doors in South America. And I want to thank you guys because you guys are a big part of it. Whenever you share the podcast, whenever you share an episode, what you don't realize is that you are literally transforming people's lives. Not you, but you are a conduit. You are a vessel. And when you share an episode as mundane, as you know, as small and minuscule as it may seem to you, it opens a door. In the same exact way that a bad doctrine will enslave you, the Bible says you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. So literally, you are sharing liberty and freedom with people when you share the podcast, when you share the episode. So I'm super excited. I know the Lord's going to continue to multiply our core group in Mexico, and uh, it's an exciting time. So welcome. And to every other listener from Europe, from the UK, from the Middle East, from Bahrain, Persia, we have people from Russia now. Um, Welcome all of you guys. So today, let's begin. Let's start with our caviar, our appetizer, shall we? Now, let's go to Proverbs chapter 6. Now, I want you to really realize this one scripture that that is such a core foundational scripture. It's found in the book of Job. And the Bible says that wisdom has two sides. Wisdom has two sides to it. What does that mean? That means that not only is there natural wisdom when it comes to reading the scriptures, but there's also a deeper truth. There is a spiritual There's spiritual meat there that he who has eyes to see will see it. He who has ears to hear will hear it. So wisdom, the Bible says in the book of Job, has two sides to it. This is this along with Romans chapter 1. These two scriptures will change your life. If you would just apply these things when you read the scriptures, when you listen to a sermon, even when you watch documentaries. I I cannot tell you how many times Drea and I will be watching, let's say, someone harvest honey, someone uh, butcher some meat, some bison in Ohio. Whenever you have your eyes open by the Lord Jesus, you're able to see wisdom past just the natural. This is how Solomon, by the spirit of wisdom... This is how he spoke. He spoke about, the Bible says in First Kings that the wisdom of Solomon was such that he spoke about the cedars of Lebanon. He spoke about the creatures in the water. He spoke about the creatures in the land, creeping things, things that fly. The Bible says he spoke about the hyssop that, grew, that came forth. He spoke about trees and animals. Now, question, why would he talk? Is he running like National National Geographic or something? Was he like a, uh, you know, a crocodile hunter? Was he like an animal enthusiast that he was just like, you know what? I really admire um, how a dog barks. No, I mean, I'm sure he liked the animals, but there's, but he was able to see something in the natural. And by the spirit of wisdom, he was able to apply that and see a greater truth because you have to understand this. Everything in the world, 
everything the Lord has created the entire universe and it points to Jesus. The skies, the animals, the birds, the eagle, marriage, raising children, everything points to Jesus. And if you would realize that and ask the Lord for the spirit of wisdom and ask the Lord to open your eyes to see him, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, the Bible says that their eyes were open and they saw him in the same exact manner. When you ask the Lord, Lord, open my eyes to see you, like not just the the theological, uh, theoretical logic or reasoning, but this is what the entire Bible is about. Jesus said to the Pharisees, he said, you diligently search and study the scriptures. Why? Because you think that in the scriptures, you have life. Then Jesus went on to say to the religious people, he said, but what you fail to realize is that the scriptures point to me. And then he said this startling statement. He said, and you refuse to come to me that you may have life. You search the scriptures because you think that in the scriptures, you have life. But the scriptures point to me and you refuse to come to me that you may have life. You know, Jesus is God in the flesh. And he is the only, he's also fully man, fully God, fully man. And he is the only, you, you, know, you know what sets him apart from, from Buddha and Gandhi and all these uh, people, mere men, is this. A part that he is the way, the truth, the life. A part that he is fully God in the flesh. A part that he is fully God, fully man. A part that he is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. He is God himself. But this, but the, the statements that he made, he, they were definite. He said, you see, Buddha and Gandhi, and I don't have anything against these people, but I want you to realize this. Buddha was in search for light. But Jesus said, I am the light. Gandhi and Muhammad and every other philosopher, they always pointed their followers to not themselves, but to their theories, to their mechanisms, to their philosophies, to their laws, to their five steps to be a successful ministry, to the works, to the flesh, to the effort, to these things, to some type of mystical, theoretical, esoteric theory. But Jesus said, come to me. He pointed us to him, not to his theories, not to, not even to, uh, uh, even in Christianity today, not to prayer, not to fasting, not to all these things. Are these things bad? No. But Jesus said, I mean, this is a strong statement. This is found in John chapter 8, that Jesus said to the religious people, he said, hey, you guys study the scriptures. You guys diligently search and pour over the scriptures because you think that in the Bible, you may find life. If I if I said that without saying this is found in John chapter 8, Drea, they would stone me to death. <laughs> If I said, hey, um, religious 
you know, word of faith, religious charismatic, religious Methodist, religious Baptist man, whatever it is. I'll take a shot of whatever denomination. Hey, hey, denominational man. Hey, friend. If, if I just quote, if I just said this without saying this is found in the Bible, this is in John chapter 8, I, I would be called, I would be killed, <laughs> but I can't die because I'm, a, I'm already dead and resurrected. Amen. So, but Jesus said, hey, you search the scriptures, you search the Bible because you think that in the Bible, you think in the scriptures, you have life. Blasphemy. 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 That's what that's that's what they would say today. You think that in the scriptures you have life. But what you fail to realize is the scriptures point to me. And Jesus said, and you refuse to come to me. That you may have life. You study, you go to Bible school, you pray for an hour a day, you do you do all these dogmatic rituals because you think that in them you have life. But what you fail to realize is I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life. Come to me, Jesus said, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and you will find rest for your soul. Come to me. Don't come to my doctrine. Don't come to my works. Don't come to my formula. Don't come to my religious ordinances. Don't come to my philosophical. I don't even know how to say it because I'm just. I'm, I dropped out of high school. In the high school, I dropped out of college. Don't come to my philosophy or my theoretical hermeneutics. Don't come to, you know, the traditions from Brother Hagen. And I love Brother Hagen. Don't come to the traditions from, you know, Brother Hagen, John G. Lake. These, the, all these men, any minister will point to Jesus if he's a minister of God, not to himself. The Bible says John, about John the Baptist in John chapter 1, he said there was a man sent from God whose name was John. And, he, and the Bible says, and he was sent to testify of the light. A man sent from God will testify and bear witness of the light. The Bible says, though he himself is not the light, but he came to bear witness of the light. And in him is the light of the world. And in him is life. Any man sent from God will testify and witness of Jesus. So Jesus said, come to me. Don't come to my doctrine. Don't come, don't come to all these things. Is doctrine bad? No, doctrine is extremely important. But that's secondary. Jesus said, come to me and then you will have life. And, and in that fellowship, in that communion with Jesus, all your, all your uh, error doctrines will be straightened out. Because the Bible says that Jesus is the one. Grace teaches you. He is the one who will teach you. And if you have Jesus as your foundation, you'll be all right. Your doctrine will be straight because Christ is the center of everything. So why did I say that? Because today's caviar, which is found in Proverbs chapter 6, we have to realize that I said in the beginning that Wisdom has two sides. So Solomon spoke about the uh, the cedars, the hyssop that came forth from from the wall of creatures, of animals, all these things, because you can find a deeper truth to it. So in Proverbs chapter 6, listen to this. The Bible says, 
for by means of a whorish woman. I know this is like far left, but just check it out. Proverbs 6, 26, for by means of a whorish woman. I grabbed your attention, right? You're like, wait, what did he just say? For by means of a whorish woman is a man brought to a piece of bread, and the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. Can a man take fire in his bosom, and his clothes not be burned? Can one go upon the hot coals, and his feet not be burned? So what is this talking about? Yes, so the natural side of it is it, it, it's talking about adultery. But the spiritual side of it, when the Bible talks about the seducing woman found in Proverbs, it's talking about the law. It's talking about religion. It's talking about the religious system of the day. The seduce, the seductress, the seducing woman is religion, is ceremonialism, is the law. The natural side, yes, it's talking about practical Practical daily. So I was talking about, yes, an adulterous woman. But the spiritual side of it is talking about the law. It's talking about any type of religious dogmatic system, which we're going to talk about today. So can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one go upon hot coals and his feet not be burned? Now that we understand that this is not only talking about, yes, in the natural, it's talking about the adulterous woman, but yes, in the spiritual a deeper truth is it's talking about the religious system of the world, the legalistic, dogmatic religious system. And this is saying, if a, can a man, this is asking, this is a rhetorical question. A rhetorical question is a question that is posed and it's not, I'm not looking for an answer. I'm making a point. And this is the same exact manner. Verse 27 Proverbs 6 says, Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burnt? Can one go upon hot coals and his feet not be burnt? So on the spiritual side, which, which we're focusing on today, it's talking about the religious system, the law. It, this is saying, can you touch the law and not be burned? Can you go upon hot coals and your feet not be burned? Can you take fire in your bosom and your clothes not be burned? So this is talking about the, the religious system, the law, in a deeper spiritual truth. Why is this important? Because I'm kind of just setting the, the foundation for, for the study of tonight, of this morning, of this afternoon, of this evening, wherever you are at, whatever time, sphere. But today's study, we're going to be going into Galatians chapter 5. And we have to realize that the minute that we take a position in our hearts, any dogmatic position in our hearts, we are immediately putting ourselves under the law. And the Bible says, Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can you touch the can you touch Mount Sinai, which we studied in a previous episode? Can you touch found in Hebrews chapter twelve? Can you touch Mount Sinai and not be burned? Can you touch the law and not be burned? Can you take fire in your bosom and your clothes not be burned? The Bible says that even if a beast, even if an animal touched Mount Sinai, the law, it was to be stoned to death. You know, there's a story, a biblical account in the Old Testament that I can't remember the exact one, but just Google it and search it for, for yourself. That 
I remember the it was the Philistines. The Philistines stole the covenant. And they wanted to see what was inside the Ark of the Covenant. So they opened up the covenant. They opened up the covenant. They opened up the Ark, I should say, to look what was inside. On top of the Ark of the Covenant, you have the mercy seat, which is a type of Jesus, grace. You have the mercy seat where the priest would pour the blood, sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. And then if you refuse grace inside is Aaron's rod that was budded with almonds is the manna and is the two tablets of stone of the Ten Commandments so when the Philistines when the Lord allowed the Philistines to take the Ark of the Covenant the Philistines looked inside the covenant and they were killed by the Lord do you ever wonder why there's so much death in the Old Testament? I know Ethan talked about this, but you ever wonder why there's so much death in the Old Testament? My answer is this. The Bible says in the New Testament, Behold Israel after the flesh. I want you to think about this right now. I, I want to raise people who, who think critically. The Bible says, Behold Israel after the flesh. Why was there so much death in the Old Testament? Why was there so much death when Uzi, Uzzah, his name means human strength, when he touched, when he exerted human strength, there was death. When the Philistines rejected grace and looked to the law, there was death. If, a, if an animal even would even touch Mount Sinai, the law, there was death. Why? The Bible says in the New Testament, behold Israel after the flesh. So in Galatians chapter 5, when we talk about, it's talking about falling from grace, which we're talking about today. How do you fall from grace? I spoke about this maybe a couple months back, but it, it, I believe the Lord has brought a deeper light to it. The reason why there's so much death in the Old Testament, you have to realize that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Bible says that all these things were written as types for you and I. There were types. And if the Bible says, Behold Israel after the flesh, the covenant that God had with the nation of Israel was according to the flesh. So now when we walk after the flesh, or though we're not in the flesh, we walk after the flesh, there is death. You see, you see it left and right. You, death in your emotions, death in your body, death in your relationships, whatever it may be. So the Bible says, Behold Israel after the flesh. All these catastrophes that happened in the Old Testament, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, these are types, types for us to learn. Learn what? That if you touch the law, can a man take fire in his bosom and not be burned? Can you touch the law and not be burned? Can you put your heart in a position of demand and look to yourself and can you not take, can you receive that fire and not be burned? Can you touch the law and not be burned? Can you touch the law and not receive death? The answer is no. So, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty. What does liberty mean? Freedom. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. What is this yoke of bondage? If you, if you 
gone to any church, the majority of churches will say, well, this is sin. But we have to understand Galatians, the epistle of Galatians, to the church in Galatia, it's all about law versus grace. Even the religious Bible school that we went to, that I dropped out of, they even knew that, though they, they knew it in their head. But ask any Bible teacher, Galatians, even the free, the, sorry, even any Pharisee, would tell you, yes, I agree, Galatians is talking about law versus grace. I agree, Anthony. This yoke of bondage is not sin. The, in context, read the, in the entirety. It's talking about the law. So Christ has set us free from the law. This is that, that's the point. And he's saying, don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Pause. Yes, explicitly, the law is talking about the Ten Commandments. Intrinsically, it's any type of dogmatic restraint you put within your soul. Explicitly, it's the Ten Commandments. Because the, if you just think that, this is what the religious people thought in Jesus' day. And this is, trust me, I went to a religious Bible school and this is what they think. Which is why they're deceived. Because they say, well, you know, is it so hard to keep the Ten Commandments? I don't think so. This is the same exact tone that the religious Pharisees, whom Jesus rebuked and called them a brood of snakes, whom Jesus called uh, you stiff-necked people, you brood of vipers, you, you go out to make one convert and you make them twice the child of hell that you are. This is Jesus. The same exact rebuttal that the pharisees had over two thousand years ago you have it in many word of faith charismatic i don't care any type of religious construct denominational church you have it so what they would say well anthony you know is it so hard not to commit adultery is it so hard not to commit murder is it so hard not to commit sacrilege is it so hard not to engrave an image and worship it? But what you fail to, first of all, they don't even know the entire Ten Commandments. They only know like two or three, if that. And they don't even know, is it number one? Is it two? Is it number 75, 100? What is it? So first of all, that's and that's what Paul said. Paul said, those who desire for you to be circumcised, they themselves don't even follow the law. And I can testify that is true. Many religious people, they preach, you better fast, and then they're up on the fourth floor munching down a cheeseburger. That's the truth. I'm just speaking hypothetical. Wink, wink. So, this yoke of bondage is talking about the law. This entire Gal Galatian epistle is talking about law versus grace. So, the Bible says, because in the previous chapter, because remember... It's one thought. Chapters are there for what? Organizational structures, which is fine. But you have to read it in context. You, you can't just read one scripture and be like, well, this is a new thought. No, what did he just say? What is he talking about? In Acts chapter 15, Peter, Peter, who was steeped in law, Acts 15 verse 10 says, A yoke which neither we nor our fathers had strength enough to bear, referring to it, we may suppose as slavery, not merely because of obedience it was difficult, but as being observed from a legalistic anxiety to approve, to approve oneself thereby by God 
I'm reading a, a, a commentary that I've been studying, which I want to share with you guys, but I'll see if the Lord allows me at the end. So my point is this, Acts 15, verse 10, Peter, even Peter, who was even talking about, who was very steeped in the law, who boasted in his flesh, even Peter in Acts chapter 15, which Acts 15 settles the entirety of grace versus law. The council at Jerusalem. Peter talked about the yoke being the law, a yoke which neither we nor our fathers had enough strength to bear, called it slavery. Do not, again, get held in by a yoke of bondage. What is this talking about? This is talking about the law. Because the previous verse, Galatians 4.31, and we're doing a lot of study today. So then, brethren, we are children, not of the bondwoman, but of the free. And Galatians 1 says, because we are free, stand fast in the freedom wherewith Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Acts 15 verse 10, Peter in the council of Jerusalem, which the finality is found in the word of God. The Bible says in Acts 15, it was settled. Why are we trying to make Christians obey the law? Peter even spoke up and he said, which we nor our fathers had enough strength to keep. No one can keep the law. So my point is that Galatians chapter 5 verse 1, the yoke of bondage is talking about the law. And the law, my friend, are you ready? The law is not, is not just the Ten Commandments, though explicitly found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, explicitly it is talking about the Ten Commandments intrinsically. And spiritually, it's talking about any type of dogmatic demand you place within your soul. It's found in the consciousness. When you say, I'm not, I need to stop eating this bread, that's the law, and you will eat more bread. When you say, I need to stop looking at this website, you are putting yourself under the law and you feel anxiety and the strength of sin. The Bible says, is the law. When you say, I need to stop looking at this, you are doing it because that's the law. So explicitly, yes, the Ten Commandments. Intrinsically, it's any dogmatic restraint you place within your soul. It is in your consciousness. The law works in your conscience. Anything that you say, I need to stop, you will do. You see, the law places a demand on your spirit, soul, and body. Jesus came, and that was the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you Pharisees, like many of the Pharisees today, found in, in many type of denominations, how hard is it, Anthony, to keep to not commit adultery? Well, Mr. Stiff-necked religious man, Jesus, whom I love, and I hate to quote because I know you, it stirs up religious flesh, but Jesus said, if you look at a woman to lust, you have committed adultery. How hard is it, Anthony, to not commit murder? This is what the religious people said over 2,000 years ago. But Jesus said, but if you hate your brother without a cause, you are a murderer. And furthermore, James, who was even steeped in the law, said, if you break one, you break all. So if you lust at a woman, you don't, you don't just break one. You don't just break the adultery commandment. You the Bible says in, in found in 
James, if you just broke one, you broke out of it. So if if you look, if you lust after a woman, not only did you break the adultery commandment because it's it's not just your body, it's not you just having sex with someone. It's actually in your mind. It, the the law places a demand on your spirit, on your soul, on on your body. It's in your thoughts, it's in your body, and it's in your spirit. It places a complete command. So if you just lust after a woman, you've committed adultery. But needless to say. In James, not only did you break one commandment, but now you have broken all. So now you are treated not only as an adulterer, you are treated as a murderer, you are treated as an idolater, you are treated as a homosexual, you are treated as someone who has committed bestiality. Why? Because if you break one, you break all. That's in James. And it's not just your physical body, it's in your thoughts. So this is the yoke of bondage. Behold, this is in verse 2 now. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. Now, is Paul talking about circumcision by itself? In other words, because when we read this, it's like, well, yeah, Anthony, you know, I'm at a religious church and I'm not getting, my, I'm not getting circumcised. But the bigger picture is circumcision is a right. It is a an R-I-T-E. It's a right into you justifying yourself by the law, by works. So in other words, what this is saying is if you trust in your flesh, because circumcision is in essence you trusting your flesh, and Jeremiah says, cursed is anyone who puts his trust or confidence in the flesh. So if you put your confidence, let's say, to make money at work in your flesh, the Bible says Christ will profit you nothing. So what this is saying is that not only when you put your trust in one area, let's say if I, if, I, if I put my trust in my own confidence, in my own ability, in my discipline to preach, not only am I frustrating the grace of God, not only am I falling from grace in this particular area, but Christ. But it now it, it'll seem like I have, there's no flow, there's no grace, there's no anointing. It, it'll begin to suck the life out in every single area in my life. So circumcision in the... When Paul was writing this, this is talking about, yes, the physical act of chopping some flesh off your wee-wee. But on a deeper picture is when you and I put our trust in any other thing. If I put my trust in melatonin to go to sleep, I am by default under the law. Wait a minute. What do you mean, Anthony? If I put my trust in melatonin instead of the provision of the cross, because everything is according to the atonement of Jesus Christ. And when you put your trust in the finished work of Christ, that when you put your trust in it, that is the only way you, you can benefit from it. So subconsciously and psychologically, we put our trust in all these little things. We put our trust in melatonin to put me to sleep. We put our trust in my self-discipline to be healthy. We put our trust, and this is what I was talking about, that the Lord will shake whatever is founded on Mount Sinai. We put our trust in our good looks to produce our sales. All these things. We put our trust in our degrees, 
We put our identity in our degrees. We put our identity in our profession. We put our identity in being a mom. We put our identity in our children. We put our identity in all of these things. This is so subconscious. This is the same exact thing as someone getting circumcised and attempting to be justified by the law. Christ profits you nothing. So subtly, when we be this, exactly just like the Ten Commandments. So when the minute that we put our trust in anything but the cross of Christ, Christ has become, the Bible says, in other translation, inoperative in our life. So let's continue reading. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. You, get, you guys ready for this? I'm taking you step by step. So we've come to the understanding. So the Ten Commandments is... Not only the physical act, but it's also intrinsic. It's any dogmatic rule that you place upon your soul. Circumcision, because if you read this, I'm like, oh, well, you know what? I'm not getting circumcised, so I'm not under the law. But this is a type. This is uh, intrinsically anything that we put our trust in. And we do it in very funny, funny, silly, silly ways. And the, and the minute that we put our trust in all these little physical acts, the Bible says that Christ has become inoperative in our life. And then in verse 3, the next scripture, the part by the Spirit of God says, For I testify again. Listen to this uh, commentary. I protest again. In using the word testify again, he is saying, I speak in the presence of a witness. The apostle intimidate, intimates, this is, 1866, so bear with me. The apostle intimates that he is making his affirmation with a definite sense of the Lord being his witness. Ephesians 4, 17, This I say and I testify in the Lord. So what this, and what this is saying, this places a deep emphasis on what he is about to say. In other words, he is saying, I testify again. I te in other words, I testify in the Lord. And Jesus is my witness. Why? To hammer down the severity of what he's about to say. So, I testify again to every man that is circumcised, to every man that trusts in his flesh, to every man that trusts in his works, to every man that trusts in his self-discipline, to every man that trusts in his formula, to every man that trusts in medicine, to every man that trusts in their good looks, to every man that I trust in whatever is of the flesh. I testify to every man that is circumcised, to every man who places a demand upon themselves, who looks to themselves, if it's up to me, it's meant to be type of attitude. To every man, that is what it means to be circumcised. To every man that is circumcised, he is a debtor to do the whole law. So the minute that you put your trust in whatever it may be, and I know the Lord is placing his hand on whatever it is in your life, whatever it is, anything that we put our trust in other than the cross of Christ in that area we are frustrating the grace of God and not only that the mi the minute that we put our trust in these things the Bible says he is a debtor he is a debtor to do the whole law so for example if I if I put my trust in melatonin to go to sleep I put so subconsciously I say the Lord is my savior but in my heart I have unbelief. 
because I believe that the medicine is my savior. I believe, I understand the Bible says that perfect in perfect peace, I will lay down and sleep. Why? Because the Lord himself is the one who protects me. I understand the Bible says for he gives his beloved sleep. He gives his beloved rest. So these, these are all truths. This is a provision by the cross of Christ. But subconsciously, I don't believe it. So then I go and I, and, and I put my trust in these sleeping pills and these medicines and all this stuff. I'm making an illustration here, okay? So then I, I put my trust in that. What's going to happen eventually is that that thing's not going to work anymore. And it's actually going to backfire. Why? Because <laughs> you have to understand the Lord is zealous over us. And whatever thing that we place in the position of Christ, in essence, it is anti-Christ. It is in place of Christ. So instead of looking to Jesus to be my provider, I look to my job. Instead of looking to Jesus to provide me with perfect peace, I look to my medicine. Instead of looking to Jesus to provide me for my health, I look to my diet. All of these things, very, very subconsciously. The Bible says, now you are a debtor to the whole law. So now you're going to feel anxiety. So now it's because I'm telling you because the Bible says it and I've experienced it. So the minute that I, the minute that you put your trust in one thing, and you're like, oh, all right, you, you find relief. And then here comes another demand. What about this? And then it's like, then you become, you're scrambling back and forth. Why? Because that's the law. The law places a demand on you. The law is do this, do this, do this. And the law is not just physically, it's spirit, soul, and body. The law places a demand on you completely. So now you go from one place to the other place. So now instead of just putting your trust for uh, sleep, now you wonder, okay, well, what about my health? And then, all, and then all of a sudden you just feel constraint. You feel anxiety in every single area in your life. Why? Because the Bible says if you, if you even, if you do, if you are circumcised, if you put your trust in something else other than Christ in this area, you are putting yourself back under the law. And don't you realize the Bible says that if you put yourself under the law, now you are obligated to do the entirety of the law? So this is what Jesus has come to completely liberate us. And he does it like an onion. <laughs> he'll free, he'll, he'll, he's gracious, he's patient. And different areas that we rely within our own selves, different areas that we subconsciously put our trust in the flesh, in our discipline, in this and that. We put our trust in my career, you know, I, my identity, and I'm an engineer. That's my identity. That's who I am. He'll shake that off. Why? Be and not because he hates you, but because you have to understand that the minute that we put ourselves under the law, the scriptures can be broken. Now we are obligated. We, we, are, we are testifying of our unbelief in the, in the truth that Jesus is our everything. He is our Savior in every area in our life, in our spirit, in our soul, in our body, everything, in our relationships, in our finances. And he, and he keeps going. Verse 4, Christ has become no effect to you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. Another translation, you have disconnected yourselves from Christ. You, have, you make it inoperative. You make him inoperative. You make him of no effect. You are, you are discharging yourself from Christ. You are separating yourself from Christ. Why? Because you are attempting to be justified, justified by your works, by the flesh, by the law. Why was there so much death? Because it was Israel according to the flesh. But we are the true Israel, Philippians chapter 2, in the spirit. For there is a Jerusalem 
in the in the flesh, but we are in Zion, in the New Jerusalem, in the spirit. So he goes on to further hammer this point. Christ has become no effect to you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, whosoever of you are justified by your works, by your self-confidence, you have fallen from grace because there is no confidence in self. Self, the, the Bible says, in me dwells no good thing. In the flesh dwells no good thing. There is no confidence in you. I don't care if you're a 50-year-old Christian. Paul said, in my flesh dwells no good thing. When he was 60 years old, 30 years into the ministry, raising people from the dead left and right, being ascended to third heaven, hearing things which things are not even lawful to utter, the Bible says. As a 60-year-old man, he says, there is no good thing in my flesh. Your flesh does not improve. And a deeper truth, the reality for my senior class, the flesh has been circumcised. It's no more. But the minute that we look to ourselves, and see, this is spiritual, so it's so hard for me to explain these things. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm trying, but I'm attempting by grace to explain spiritual realities with English, which English is my second language, so bear with me. The, the, these things are so hard to explain because this is spiritual. When we subconsciously, psychologically begin to look to ourselves, we look introspectively. We have confidence, maybe not for, maybe I don't have confidence to preach in my flesh, but you know, I have confidence to make money in my flesh. Maybe I don't have confidence to uh, be a husband, but I have confidence in my flesh to raise my children. All these things. And the Bible says, whosoever of you are justified by the flesh, justified by the law, by works, the flesh, the law, and works all goes together. So when we are self-confident, we have fallen from grace. Christ is become a no effect to you. Why? Because Christ is your everything. All we are to do, your responsibility is to get out of the way. And this is even hard to explain because it's internally. I, I was ministering to this lady and she was like, well, how do you know when we're, at, when we're letting go? Because even we can even make letting go a, a work. And you want to know a deep truth? You can't even let go. You can't do anything. I can't do anything. I can't even rest because in me there's no, because Jesus is my peace. Ephesians says Jesus is our peace. He is the Prince of Peace. He says, I will put you to rest. I am your rest. I am your peace. I am your everything. So he is our Savior. So we can't even let go ourselves. We can't even let go. The more we try to let go, the more we're, we're, we're demand conscious. That's a law. I will not be anxious. Anxiety will, will flood in. Why? Because that's the, that's the law working on the human conscious, on the, on the psyche. So what to do? Let go. But friend, you can't even let go on your own. So this, is, this will bring you down to your knees and, and until you surrender and realize that in me dwells no good thing. I can't do anything. Philippians says, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit and have no confidence in the flesh. Philippians chapter 2, no confidence in our effort. I, you and I, we can't even let go. The more we try to let go, the more anxious we feel. The more we, you know, can, can anyone, can I get an amen to that? Amen. So it, it, it's, it, it's, we are being so self-confident that we fall from grace. 
We trust in all these little things. Yes, I agree. It's the Ten Commandments. And yes, I agree. It's fasting and all these things. But yes, that's on a deeper truth, like an onion being peeled back, all these subconscious reliance. And this is what the Lord is showing us, is that the minute that we put our trust in any of these things, we fall from grace, grace, to be cut off from Christ. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians, many religious people like to quote this, but you can never lose your salvation. I'm sorry. The Bible says, Paul said, lest I myself become a castaway. You want to know why he said that? Because until we get our resurrected body, what did I say in the beginning? Proverbs chapter 6. The law is like a seduce, like a, like a what's the word, Dre? Like a seduc sed seducing woman. Seductress. Seductress. The law is a, like, like a seducing woman. And until we get our resurrected body, it's very easy for the human nature which we are born again i understand but your mind for you to just eh, let me go right back to my effort mm, let me go back this is what paul said as a six-year-old man it's very easy it's, ve it's very seducing to go back into our works even if you've heard grace 50 million times it's very easy to go back into self-confidence self-engrodizement all this stuff w when we realize that when that happens we fall from grace So I wanted to focus on those four verses today. And I want to end with, with, with something practical. So what, what to do, Anthony? I understand the Lord has placed his hand in this area in my life. Friend, all I can say is that in prayer, with a heart of sincerity, when you say, I cannot, when you finally give up, when you finally surrender, is when you'll feel the, the grace just flow. And I'm telling you because it's very natural to rely on ourself. It's very natural to rely on our works. It's very natural to rely on subconsciously our little patterns, our ceremonies, our little sin offerings that we do. It's all these things. And the truth of the matter of a fact is that without Christ, we can do nothing. Without Him, we can't even rest. Without Him, we can't even let go. And when you look, that's why He is our Savior. Not just from damnation, but from everyday life. When we realize that we and ourselves, we, we can't do anything. And the minute that we place a demand upon ourselves, that's the law. And the strength of sin is the law. And it'll, the Bible says that the law comes in so that sin will become exceedingly sinful. For apart from the law, there is no transgression. So when we put this demand in our psyche, in our consciousness, you will feel anxiety. That's a good way to understand that you're performing. If you feel anxiousness in your soul, that's you performing. If you feel like a like a snake is just wrapping around your heart. That's you performing. And at that time, the lust is to do something about it. 
But the more you do something about it, the more sin explodes. And the more sin explodes, the more you want to do something about it. And the more you do something about it, because it has exploded, the more it will multiply and explode. And the more it multiplies and explodes, the more you want to do something about it. Until you are exhausted and you come to your knees and say, I can't do this then that's the law the law places a demand on your spirit on your soul on your body and the law condemns and the law works wrath that's a scripture for by the law works wrath you see the illustration that the lord gave in hebrews chapter 12 the bible says that moses who was a the, the bible says that he was the meekest man on earth that he himself was in deep fear and was trembling at the sight of the mountain of the law, Mount Sinai, where thunderings and voices and clouds and darkness covered the law. That is what you feel in your soul when you are under demand. And we do these things in very subconscious things. And this is this is what the Lord is doing to train you. Hebrews, the, the Bible says in Hebrews, I believe it's in chapter 4, that the sons of God, they are led by the Spirit. but And the Lord will teach you how to be led by the Spirit. And in, and He'll show you when you are relying on yourself because that uh, anxiety will be there. And the more you try to do something about that anxiety, the more the anxiety explodes. And the more it explodes, the more you want to do something about it until, you, until the Lord says, hey, for by grace are you saved. And that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. When you let go and give it to me, the Lord says, I will deliver you. Be still and see the salvation of the Lord. For the battle is the Lord's and you will hold your peace. For without me you can do nothing. For I am the vine and you are the branches. Abide and rest in me and you will bear much fruit. Jesus said, for I can do nothing apart from what I see the Father do. So this is a learning. And this is why I believe the Lord had me on this. Because the Lord is teaching us, family, how to walk by the Spirit. And to walk by the Spirit is to walk by grace. And we have to realize that that the law is much more than just the Ten Commandments. The law is any demand you place on your consciousness any constraint, any dogmatic rule, any anxiety or stress, that's the law. And when we do that, the Bible says you have cut yourself off from Christ. You're not, not saved. But at that moment, the grace, because Christ is our wisdom. Christ is our peace. Christ is our healing. Christ who is our life, Colossians says. When Christ who is our life, Christ is our life. So you will feel death when you are relying on yourself. You will feel weak because Christ, who is our strength, when you're relying on yourself. And not only that, but then all of a sudden, you feel a demand to do everything else. Okay, well, now that I do this, I have to go clean now. Okay, it's not clean enough. Now I got to do this. Okay, uh, what about this? And, and you, you run yourself ragged because that's the law. The law is never fulfilled. The law is never content because the law is perfect. And my friend, you're not perfect. And the law demands perfection, spirit, soul, and body. So we can never keep the law. And praise be to God because Christ has delivered us from the law. Romans chapter 7 says, 
Therefore, my brethren, you too have become dead to the law. How? By the body of Christ. Therefore, being dead into that which we were held in, we are alive unto God. Romans 7 says, You too, my brethren, have become dead to the law. How? By the body of Christ. You see, when Jesus Christ died, he, he didn't only just take away our sins. That he did. He removed our sins. He didn't just die for us, but we died in him. And not only that, but he also delivered us. He emancipated us from the law. Why? To live a life of sin, of sin and all that? No, because no one can keep the law. And death only comes by the law. For by the law is knowledge of sin. For but the law works wrath. So he delivered us. How? On the cross. That is a work of the cross. And when we see that, when we realize that we can't keep the law, we can't, we can't, we can't do anything in ourselves. We, and we realize that Christ has set us free. We realize that in Romans chapter 7 says, Therefore you too, my brethren, have become dead to the law. How? By the body of Christ. Therefore being dead. Being dead, being dead to that which we were held, we are free, we are alive unto God, that we may bring forth much fruit. We are married to Jesus to bring forth fruit unto God. We have been emancipated from the law. We are dead to the law. We have been set free from the law. Any demand, when that anxiety, when that fear arises, that's the law. And what you need to do is rest. When that emotion comes, instead of doing something, you say, I'm under grace. I'm dead to the law. Because faith speaks, I'm dead. You say, I'm dead to the law. How? By the body of Christ. That's a scripture. Jesus defeated the enemy with the word. And in the same exact manner, when those feelings arise up, you say, I'm dead to the law by the body of Christ. I'm under grace. I'm not under the law. I'm under grace. And when those emotions rise up, the Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee. Resist. How? By, by doing? No. By suppressing? No. Because then it, it backfires. How? By confessing, I am dead to the law by the body of Christ. For Christ has set me free. I'm under grace. And that is resisting. And when you realize that, you see, you, 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 you take care of bad habits not by effort, but you take care of bad habits by revelation. So when those demands get placed, whether it's by your flesh, whether it's by the devil, whether it's strongholds and mindsets that have been programmed before, maybe you were raised in a military home. Yeah, you're going to have some, some strongholds that will be demand-minded. Maybe you were raised with a very uh, disciplined dad like I did. Yes, you will have uh, some demands placed in your psyche until you realize by revelation and you put to... That's what the Bible says. Uh, because of this, therefore, mortify the deeds of the body. Mortify your members that are on earth. So I want to leave you guys with this. And this is something that we will, be, we will continue to learn. We will continue to grow in. Because this is, this is the Lord raising you up. The Lord is teaching you how to walk by the Spirit. And to walk by the Spirit is not to have some mystical look in your eye. It's not to be so cynical about people. To walk in the Spirit is to walk in grace. To walk in grace 
is to be free from any demand, is to be free from self-introspection, is to be is to be free from looking at yourself to do things, is looking to Christ who has done it. That's to walk by grace and the fruit of the Spirit is all of these things. Then there's faith, then there's peace, then there's love, then there's joy. Instead of trying to overcome that emotion, you rest and love, joy, peace, meekness, faith, humility, self-discipline, all these things are there. So instead of trying to produce it on your own, that's works of the flesh and the opposite will happen. So what we do is we rest and that is how you put to death the deeds of the body. How? By suppressing? No, 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 no. A thousand times no. Uh, the opposite will happen is when you simply rest. Then all these emotions will, will follow. But we, it is by faith first. Anyone can feel it and then believe. But what we do is we believe and then the feelings come. For we walk by faith, not by sight. I, I, you're saying this, Anthony, trust me. I know you're saying this, but I feel the anxiety. I need to do something. Trust me, I've been there. But we walk by faith, not by sight. Walk by faith first and then the feelings will come next. You put to death how? By faith, which is resting. See, everything is about Jesus and what he has done. And when you realize that, when you realize that, then Christ will profit you everything. If being under the works of the law is Christ profiting you, profiting you nothing, then being under grace is Christ profiting you in every single avenue in your life. Think about that. If being under the works of the law is being cut off from Christ and Christ profiting you nothing, then being under grace is Christ profiting you in every avenue in your life, at work, in your marriage, with your kids, in your relationships, parenting, as a manager at work, all these things. So I'm going to continue to talk about this probably for the rest of my life, but I, I want to leave you guys with that. And I want you guys to study. This is some homework. And don't be dogmatic about it. But I really want you to read Galatians uh, whenever you can. Don't, don't be like, I need to read. I need to read. <laughs> Just relax. Just whenever you can. It's not a big deal. Just relax and read it. Because now that you've heard this message, I guarantee you, your eyes are going to be open. So when you see works of the flesh, when you see uh, justification by the law, you're going to look, you're going to be more mature and not only see the Ten Commandments, but you're going to see any type of demand that we place within ourselves. And you go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper until, honestly, <laughs> maturity is coming to the end of yourself. Maturity is, I'm helpless. Because the truth is you are. But those who are young in the Lord still have some strength because they think they have it, but they don't. So true maturity is you will see, it doesn't stop here though, but you, see, you will see more and more of your weakness. But in seeing more and more of your weakness, you place more and more of your trust in Jesus. And that's beautiful because he can do what you can never do. He, put, he, he, he is your savior. So that's maturity it is is decreasing that's what, that's what john said i must decrease and he must increase and that is maturity is when you recognize jesus is the vine this is jesus battle this is not my battle this is his problem this is not my problem i love this what pastor prince says and i'll end it with this if god wants to get all the glory then let him do all the work none of me all of him 
I cannot, but Jesus surely can. And when you have that attitude, and when you realize that, Christ will benefit you in, in ways you can never even think of. Your life will become so fruitful and abundant and peaceful and loving and joy. Your youth will be renewed. Why? Because you're looking at Jesus and not to yourself. So I'm going to end with that, and I will see you on the next one. Hey guys, we want to thank you for tuning in. We pray that this quickened your heart. If you'd like to give a one-time or become a monthly partner, visit our website and hit that Give Now button up at the top. We thank you in advance and pray that you continue to receive everything God has already given you. By grace, through faith.